Hi, my name is Connor Rawlinson and I'm a third year adult nursing student at Cardiff University. In this episode, we'll be discussing cardiac arrest, the importance of early interventional CPR and the lasting effects that this experience can have on the people that experience it. According to the British Heart Foundation, a cardiac arrest is when your heart suddenly stops pumping blood around your body, with the most common causes of this being the presence of underlying heart conditions or problems related to the electrical signals within the heart. Other causes can include incidents, such as low oxygen levels, electrocution and drug overdoses. The most recent British Heart Foundation statistics state that there are on average 2,800 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests in Wales each year, with only 1 in 20 people surviving this experience. Today we are so fortunate to be joined by Tim, an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest survivor who will be sharing his story. So without further ado, over to the discussion. So my name's Dr. Ricky Hellier, and I'm here with Tim this morning, who's kindly agreed to share his story with us. Uh, morning, Tim. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Ricky. How are you? You're I'm right? very good, thanks. Very good. So what I'd like, if, if that's all right, Tim, is can you tell us a little bit um, about you and about your life um, prior, you know, just the everyday stuff prior leading up to, to sort of your the events that happened? Okay. Um yeah, well, um, I'm 61 years old, um, been in a, a corporate world. My working life has really been deskbound or uh, in, in a car shooting at the M5 or M6 in the earlier years. Um, and through, through that time, I'm, I'm retired now, but uh, through, through that time, I've always been an endurance athlete. Um, I competed for Cardiff Amateur Athletic Club cross-country, middle distance, running, um, at a reasonable level. Um, gave all that up to, to have a family uh, because it was probably too hard to do. I tried to do the two, but it became a little bit too uh, problematic. So, uh, but then once, once the kids had gone to university, left, left the nest, as it were, I got back to endurance sport, got on a bike because my legs were pretty much hammered from middle distance, distance running and, and what have you. So I got on a bike and um, that was in my late 30s. And then um, my competitive instinct, which was always there, which I always, always in denial and thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to race, love. I'm not going to race again, said to my wife. And uh, she didn't believe me. And uh, <laughs> so cut to the chase. I started racing on the, on, the, on the road bike again in my sort of early 40s. Um, so that's what, 20 years ago now, um, started racing regionally, uh, again, got to a decent level, certainly at age category level and still being able to hold my own against the youngsters. Uh, so, um, and, um, that all was going swimmingly well, um, enjoying it, um, being able to get hold of my training a little bit better, not, not smashing it as much as I used to. But uh, as I say, all, all my life really is an endurance athlete. Um, and then last year, uh, April, spring in 2022, uh, I was racing at Mandy Stadium on the track, outdoor velodrome, you could call it, but it's, it's sort of a cross between racing on the track, as we all know, on the boards, as we call them in the sport, and racing on the road, on road bikes. And... Um, a lot, a lot of the story I'm going to tell you, Ricky, is 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 sort of perceived wisdom, <laughs> because I um, I don't remember a lot from the day. But it was a Wednesday, nice early spring race to start the season off, kick off the season as as we all did. So we all turned up there. The team turned up, and uh, we got on the track and and raced. And apparently, um, I have it on good information now. This is what happened. Uh, I finished the race. I actually won my race, which I was unaware of, which is which is quite comical, really. Um, and finished the race, and and these races they last about forty five minutes. They're, they're not very long, but they're very intense. Very very intense races. There's a lot of sprinting. There's a lot of attacking, as we call it, off 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 the front, or or um, or answering attacks. So it's up and down. Uh, so you're obviously putting your body through the mill, but consider considered myself pretty well trained to do that. So you sprint at the end, obviously you're all in a bunch and you sprint 
and for the final places. And apparently, as I say, that went well. So I warmed down then. Um, I'm warming down, just looping around the track, as it were, with the guys just getting a breath back and talking about talking about the race, as you do. Um, and I stopped to talk to the race commissaire. And as I say, you know, I, this is what I'm told, that I said that I'm not feeling too good. And over I went, like I've been shot in the head. And what I understand now is that the guys that were there, I, one thing I will say, and I'll say this a lot to you, Ricky, that I was an extremely lucky guy. Um, because of circumstances where I was, who was there, the equipment. Um, now, the people who were with me, my teammates, the officials, the race officials, people at the stadium, all in one manner or another. And, and indeed, um, you know, there were... There were student um, medical staff there as well. So I was extremely fortunate that this group of people knew between them how to keep me alive, basically. Um, and, of course, there was a defibrillator on site. And I was close to the hospital. And the ambulance came very, very quickly. And I think if any of those... Um, circumstances hadn't been in place, then I wouldn't be here relating my story to you today because apparently the stats are that 95% of people that suffer what I suffered don't survive. Um, and the fact that, again, you know, there's, there's debate in terms of how, how long I was actually out. Official records say seven minutes. Apparently, four minutes is is sort of we can do something. After that, it starts to get particularly particularly dangerous if it's not dangerous already. So I know I was on the ground for some time, um, but I'm here. So whatever, it you know that. Uh, but the reason is, I think, is because of those people, their training, the the equipment. And I'm just extremely lucky to have survived. So that's what happened on on the night. Again, I, I've got I've got a picture in my mind of all that happening, but that's because over my brain has been very kind to me all the way through this, and has given me these pictures with the help of the stories that I'm lucky that people have been able to tell me. I wasn't on my own. That people have been able to tell me. And I've been able to piece this together, which has really helped, helped me through some difficult times mentally. I've always been a little bit blasé towards, I'll be honest, towards mental health in terms of how you can be affected by physical, physical illnesses and things that happen to you. Um, and I certainly understand more now of the, um, the consequences mentally. And being able to talk about it to people who were there and also being surrounded by good friends and family and, and professional people as well in, 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 in the medical industry, consultants, nurses, um, yourself. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a tremendously cathartic thing for me. And, I, and I, whereas I may have been a bit blasé in the past, um, I'm certainly not now. Uh, I have a much, I feel I have a much better understanding of the consequences mentally now to this. Yeah, that's so important. And that, that's really something I want to get on to in a little while, Tim, if that's all right, please. It's interesting you said beforehand about your views about health leading up to the events. Can you tell us what your health was like, both physically and even mentally then? You said you had a different attitude towards mental health. Yeah. Well, physically, despite the fact that I'd had a, a bit of a layoff from from sport, I've always been in pretty much excellent shape. Um, never been carrying any excess weight at all. Always trained cardiovascularly, I would have said, superb. And people around me would have, you know, would say, oh God, mate, you are tremendously fit for your age and what have you. And you do tend to take 
for granted. Mentally, always, you know, brought up a certain way by a certain generation and you just suck it up and you get on with it. So you don't complain, you get on with it. Having said that, physically, I mean, back about six years ago, I did have, and, and this, is, this is the thing you've got to be careful with, that you just put these things to the back of your mind. I did suffer some, some fainting uh, or near fainting whilst on the bike. Variety of exercise, not necessarily pushing myself hard, sometimes not pushing hard. And I did get treatment for that, or not treatment so much as tests. And nothing was found. Nothing was found other than a slightly, slightly leaky valve, which was put down to, well, you know, you're getting on, be fair. You know, you've got to expect these things. Okay, that's fine. That's good. Sign there. And, you know, I'm happy with that because I can carry on with my mad life. Um, and that was, that was five or six years ago. I, I won't... I, I've expl obviously explained that in detail to the people that are looking after me, and it's not conclusive. So it, it's, and it isn't. It could be something completely different because they couldn't find anything. Mm -hmm. But in my own mind, that will never leave me that maybe there was something there because I know in the conversations that medicine is finding out more and more every single day. And my condition now, I'll, 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 just leapfrog to where my, my condition is possibly a cardiac sarcoidosis. And I know that what my consultant has said is that we never understood how much respiratory, um, such as COVID, respiratory diseases, what have you, can affect, can affect you. So... Had you had COVID? I, both my wife and I had COVID back uh, at the outset of this, dreadful pandemic, March, March, 2020. And we were both quite ill with it, but not, not as ill as some people have been. And we all know well how bad that this particular thing is. But um, we were both ill for a couple of weeks. I did have what, I never had it diagnosed, but I certainly believe I had a form of long COVID aching chest and, and what have you. Um, that's, that has dissipated over time. But I, 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 there is a body of belief now, of, of, of feeling that, well, that COVID attacks the immune system. Um, it is a respiratory disease. So sarcoidosis is very is very easily a byproduct of that. So although it's not proved that that's what um, caused my event, there is a good chance that the fact that I suffered from it, that it had a certain effect on my body and my immune system, that this could easily have caused sarcoidosis of, of the heart tissue. So um, notwithstanding... In, as I say, in the back of my mind, there was something knocking around, I feel, earlier on. And I don't feel, I don't feel at all bitter or anything like that about it, that, oh, well, it wasn't discovered if, if, if had I had better treatment or better tests or whatever. I don't feel that at all. Um, it's obvious that whatever was going on at the time, I had absolutely nothing to do with it or just couldn't see the connection with sarcoidosis because I know it, it is, is it's a pretty difficult thing to 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 actually um, to diagnose I guess so so no so so I think you know I, you've got to hang your hat on something Ricky I think sometimes and for your own mental state and I think I'm I wouldn't say I'd like to believe it was COVID or long COVID at all but there has to be a reason because obviously my physical fitness forever really was was always of a good standard I you know I, I was always active as a kid as we always were back in the day you know you didn't have you didn't have phones you didn't have computers you didn't have any of that and you went out on your bike and you went out and you played football you know jumpers with goalposts and all that stuff you know that's what you did as a kid and then it went straight on from school you know into into um in into uh, an active life 
always active, whether I was whether I was running, whether I was fishing, whether I was out on my bike, whether I always active and always looking after myself. So you tend you tend to sometimes you tend to take that for granted. Yeah. You know, you tend to think, well, I'm you know, yeah, everyone tells me I'm I'm super fit. Um, and you tell yourself, you look in the mirror in the morning, you go, oh, I'm super fit. I'm good. I can do anything. I'm indestructible. Because my dad was indestructible yeah. un- until he wasn't. And, you know, that's the, that's the thing. And all of a sudden you hit the buffers. And it's, it's now, you know, physically, I think I can, I can handle that. You know, I'll do whatever I need to do. I'm not going to go back out racing anymore. I'm not going to go out racing my bike, but I want to ride my bike. Yeah. But mentally, I'm a different person. Mentally, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm, I'm probably more cautious now, more thoughtful about what I'm doing, and and I, and I should be, yeah. I should be. Yeah. It, it, it was it's something I never thought would ever happen to me. It always happens to the next guy, and it, it happened to me. Absolutely. I wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. So you suddenly stops you in your tracks, and you you think, right, okay. And so, so now I, I feel it's more, I'm getting to grips with it because I'm here and I'm, I feel extremely lucky, very fortunate of being able to be here. But mentally, it's, some days can be a struggle. Yeah, I can imagine. Some days can be a struggle. And I can't put, my wife will say, well, what's the matter with you today? And again, it's easy to say, well, it's, it's all the drugs that I'm on. I'm on about, you know, I, the dozen different tablets for this, that, and the other now, and steroids and everything, which is good. You know, it's it's getting me there. But you know, someday maybe it's maybe it is the tablets because they do have an effect. You clearly, but there are days when I'm just just not with it, and I know it's because I'm thinking, should I be here? And I, and it's a strange, it's a, it's a really strange thing to feel that. It's certainly for me to say that, but should should I be here? Why should I be here? You know what? Why? You know. There's a lot of people who don't get up from that. The, the evidence that I'm told, you know, the time I was out, um, the fact that I, you know, really pushed my heart that day. Well, well why, why am, I, am, I, am I here? Sometimes it's crazy. It's absolutely yeah. crazy, Ricky. You know, you think, you know, am I here? Is, is this all just my brain telling me something? Because, you know, your bre- my brain looked after me. I, I, I had no pain when this happened. I had no pain. Everyone tells me about how they went through pain in terms of keeping me in this world and, and sort of dealing with the aftermath of that. But I just woke up in intensive care and I was told, well, well, the nurse said, you know, what, what do you think happened to you? And I said, well, you know, I, I raced my bike. I think I was, I think I was racing my bike. Um, I know that much, but I finished my race. I went to the car I put my jeans on, I went in the cafeteria for a cup of coffee, made some calls, and I drove my car up to the flyover, and I felt a bit dodgy, and I stopped the car, but I can't remember any more than that. And she said, well, you didn't even get off the track. So my brain had told me that, and I would, if, if nobody had told me anything else, that's where my journey went that day. So my, it, it, the, the, the strength of what your brain does, when, either when you're in the world or not in the world, yeah. is for me, it, it's, it's sometimes very difficult for me to handle. It must be confusing, Tim, because you've got this memory that didn't happen and people telling you other things mm. on top of everything. So I think it's understandable that, totally understandable that, that things don't feel right on times, isn't it, you know? Mm. So when you... So you really kindly talked about what happened leading up to those events. Um, and you're a healthy guy. You're that much fitter than I am. You know, it's a lot of, you know, I envy that fitness. And then this happens, and then you wake up in intensive care, and the nurse tells you. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like then, waking up in intensive care, please? Yeah. It, um, it's, it's, I've tried to, that's the first consciousness that I've got. So that's the first thing that I can grab hold of. And I try and think, how did I feel when I woke up? 
And yes, I was very, very confused, very confused, more confused than I thought I was at the time, for sure. But I wasn't frightened at that point. Almost quite, not blasé, but very um, matter of fact almost that, okay, I've got wires coming out of me, I'm in bed, I'm obviously, something really bad has happened here, but I haven't broken anything. And it was almost a feeling of, whew, wow, that's, well, that must have been a near miss, whatever it was. And then, you know, speaking to my wife then, because the nurse very kindly um, gave me a, not a mobile, but a, a handheld phone, said, look, you need to phone your wife. And I phoned my wife and I said, what happened there, Dan? And she sort of told me and I said, look, where's my phone? Um, where's my bike? Where's my car? Those are the things that came to me. And she said, look, don't worry. The guys have taken care of that. Your car's parked up. Yeah. I've got your phone, I've got your keys, um, your bike is fine, because generally speaking, in no particular order, your bike normally comes first. How's my bike? How's my bike? And that was it. And then apparently then through, through the night, because this was, this was a, about, I think about one o'clock in the morning, half past one of the Thursday. This happened on a Wednesday night, and this is on the Thursday. And I proceeded to ring my wife and my kids who are, uh, 33 and 27 now, so they're not really kids, uh, with, with my wife. And I proceeded to ring them probably every 10 minutes to say, wow, what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> Where's my bike? Yeah, Where's my phone? <laughs> Where's my car? Until, until I think, and this is sort of gallows humour, that I think the, my wife said to the nurse, look, he keeps ringing up and asking where he's on a loop. He will be, he will be. But apparently I was also asking, in between the phone calls, I was, always, I was also asking the nurse. And she said, look, don't worry, love, uh, to my wife, because if he keeps on to me, I'm going to stick a pillow over his head. He's <laughs> <laughs> Which obviously she wasn't. But, um, but no, and that, 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 that moment actually sort of waking up in intensive care, it was, yeah, it was like, okay, well, I'm still here. Whatever's happened, let's get to the bottom of it. And... So again, my brain was being, was protecting me. You know, it, it wasn't right, blimey, what? Usually I'm overanalyzing things to the nth degree, Ricky. I, you know, I've got a, the ins and outs of it. and I'm not, I'm just sitting there thinking, right, okay, okay. But, but then your brain starts to come back, your memory of sorts. Mine hasn't really come back at all but from, from that day, but... Then you start to you do start to think of the consequences. Then, as as the time goes on, and it starts to hit down hit on you what what has happened. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how long you were in intensive care before you woke up? Um, I think um, I was. Uh, I think they got me in well, pretty damn quick. Uh, I, I think uh, they had me in the recess area first, obviously to yeah. to get me around and do quite a lot of tests and stuff. Um, and I think then to intensive care, probably, it was probably maybe 10 o'clock at night, something around about late at night. So I think they were thinking of sedating me because of the time I'd been out, gone. Um, and all the damage that that could possibly have caused. So I think they were quite surprised when I woke up at one o'clock and said, well, okay, <laughs> what, what's going on here? And somebody tell me. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and then I think I was in intensive, I, I think I was in intensive care for about a day. I'm, I, I can't quite remember. And then I went to more of a high dependency unit Yeah. with more cardiac speciality, I think. Yeah. For, for, for a few days, maybe. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, until until I could go on, then go on to the ward. Yeah. So you know, I was I was brought down very gently. Yeah, I've seen so much, many interesting things that I want to ask. Question about that. Question about that. Question about that. The one thing that that, that I'm sort of really interested in is, like you said, you woke up and it was just that very matter of fact, almost sort of practical. When did it start kicking in? What had happened, and 
what sort of process was that and how long did it sort of take? It again, it, it's it, it's still foggy, but whereas I I can be I can be quite definite about things. I'm talking because my wife obviously lived this moment with me, and I'll say certain things in terms of well, you know, I know that I was in that particular unit and this was going on and this is how I felt and. and very politely and softly, she tells me, no, you, you were still very confused. Yeah. You were still, you know, on occasions talking nonsense, a little bit garbled. Now, I, I don't remember that. I, I feel, obviously, as soon as I woke up, I was my normal self. Maybe that is my normal self. I don't know. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> the truth will out. But... It, but Certainly, in terms of hospital, I mean, I think I started to get very frightened when I when I got onto the to the cardiac ward, and that that wasn't because you know the, I, I have to say in all of this, the treatment that I received by everyone who looked after me was uh, I can't thank the people enough that it was just outstanding. Outstanding doesn't even cover it. Yeah, but personally. I started to become aware in the ward when obviously the doctors were coming around and they said, right, how are you? What are you, you know, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is what we plan to do. And I started to get, I felt very vulnerable then only because it suddenly came home to me. It started to come home to me, I should say, that what had happened, what had happened to me and the, the gravity of it. Yeah. And I started to get, even though I was obviously in the best place possible, I I felt scared. I felt terrified that it was going to happen again. And any little, uh, any little, well, I don't know, a sharp intake of breath or or a little bit of dizziness, and I think, oh my god, it, I, I'm this is going to happen again. Mm. And you know, I I was reassured and reassured. That look, you're okay. You know, you're okay. We got you. But that started in that week to the run up of having an ICD fitted because that that was that was what they decided they were going to do. That we need to put an ICD in you. So that's the type of defibrillator. Uh, defibrillator yeah. Yes. yes. Internal. Um, internal cardioverter defibrillator. <laughs> I may have that slightly wrong, but with a pacemaker as well. So, and, and, and I have that now. And that was, I think that was about a week after getting on the ward. So it was done pretty toot sweet. Um, and the, the days leading up to that, it's Easter weekend. Um, and having that fitted, albeit I have to say there was, you know, in, in all of this, there was no pain, nothing in, in any surgery or whatever, but I was terrified. And, and going going in to have an ICD fitted, um, and, and no one could have told me anything else, you know, with the best will in the world. I, I thought, there's a chance I'm going to go on the table here. I'd made up my mind, uh, or I, I, you know, it's like, right, okay, this, this we're, we're, you know, we've gone through the, oh, should we clumsily call it the honeymoon period of, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm in a nice warm place, I'm in a bub, I've been bubble wrapped by everyone, but now they've got to do something. And this isn't without its risks, obviously. And I think I, that's when I started to be my old self of overanalyzing and suddenly thinking. And I think I made a pretty good job of hiding it because, as I said to you earlier, Ricky, I, that's that's sort of my, my DNA. That's where it's where I'm wired, probably, and the way I've been brought up. So I, I probably sucked it all up I, as much as I think I did, but I was scared. The consequences of everything, of of not being able to finish my life and not, you know, all the usual cliched stuff, I suppose. But it, it's not cliched, and that's me, isn't it? You know, it's all cliched, throwaway. But it's not. It's not. You know, you not not being able to, you know, my my grandson, he's three now, um, 
not seeing his next birthday, not seeing my kids, not seeing my wife, not seeing my mates, not, you know, not finishing off everything. All that sort of stuff that you do put down to just being one big cliche, but then you realise, oh my God, it's not, it's not. And, and that sort of plays, that gets in your head. That really gets in your head then. And I think, um, you know, that, that, that started a bit of a rot, if, if I'm honest. Yeah. In, in what way, sorry? Uh, um, just, just sort of a, um, not a depression, but a, as I was saying earlier about days where you start to overanalyze stuff about, well, you know, what has happened to me? Should I be here? Um, I am here. Am I? Um, and, and, and it sounds, probably sounds a bit crazy, but, and that's less and less now. I mean, that, that's great. You know, I'm getting hold of it. And, and as I say, I think one thing I was, will always, it, it sounds like a meme from Facebook or whatever, but you've got to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Got, and that's what's helped me is just being able to sit down and jabber away and watch people glaze over. And people have been so kind. They know that I just need to talk about it and they'll just listen to me. And that's, and I'm lucky because of that, that I've been able to talk about my little incident in the world, what, what was massive to me. It's not massive to everyone else, I know that, but to me it is, and being able to talk about it. But yeah, um, there was, there was, there was a, a point where, because you don't, hindsight's a wonderful thing, you don't know what next day's going to bring, you don't know how you're going to feel the next day, you don't know... How am I going to be in a month's time, mentally and physically? Am I, am I going to be able to ride my bike? Am I going to be able to? And, and some people say, well, you're very lucky to be alive. Don't, why are you worried about riding your bike? But that's me. Of course. That's, that's me. And, and that's the one thing that has come over and over, whether it's a nurse or a doctor saying, look, we're doing this because we want you to have your life. So when I was saying, look, well, well, will I, and it sounded like one of those very bad B Hollywood movies, and like, well, doctor, will I ever, will I ever race my bike again? Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds really cheesy, but it's like, well, listen, if you want to ride your bike, let's get you fit. But we're here so you can get out there and live your life again. You need to be sensible, mate, but we want you to get back and live your life. And, and that those, I, I've, those were the strongest words that could have been said to me in hospital was just the reassurance that, look, you're not going to die. You've got an ICD. You're probably safer than 90% of the people in this building. Yeah. You're going to be okay. Don't worry. You're going to get back. You're going to do what you want to do. You just maybe have to re, re, you know, look at what you do. Um, but we're going to get you fit. And, and there was such a strength in that. And I knew they meant it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it wasn't just blowing smoke in my backside, so to speak. Yeah. It was, it was meant. It, it, and, and that was so important to me. When I was start that little rot of, well, like, oh, God, what does this mean to me now in my life? Is it, is it over? Whatever. Whether, whether it was being really dramatic or whatever, I don't know. Maybe I was a bit dramatic on occasions. I probably was. But... Yeah, um, those those words of comfort were just as important to me as as the actual medical science that was being ploughed into me at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Can I ask you about quickly about two? Well, there's three points I want to ask you about, if that's all right. Yeah. Is you mentioned you were hiding how you were feeling? Who are you hiding it from? People I love, um, and and me, I think, um, because I didn't want to be scared. I didn't like the feeling. I never liked being scared. And, you know, we, we all get scared all through our life, don't we? And I just learned that the best way to deal with it is to ignore it, um, to just bury it. So it, it's easier to... It, it, <laughs> It's similar to a feeling, I guess, when you're, you're watching um, an emotional film on TV and you're there with your wife watching the, watching the film and she's openly sobbing 
and you want you're you're really choking up, and it's like, ah, oh no, 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 I'm okay, I'm fine. Oh, do you want a cup of tea, love? And it's that sort of feeling. Yeah, it's that sort of, you know, you. For me, anyway, yeah. For me, it, it it's it's hiding the fear. Yeah, hiding the fear because that is, at that moment in time, the best way of dealing with it. I'm more happy to talk about that now. I'm stronger, I'm more confident. I'm not a more confident, I'm the same sort of person in terms of confidence, but I've got more confidence in talking about my feelings around it now yeah. than maybe I was, only because I was, yeah, I, I, I was scared and I didn't want to show it. I didn't want, to, I didn't want people to think, oh, my God, you know, either, God, what a wuss, or... Oh my God, he's bad. You know, you know, we need to sort something out. You're not in a good shape. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm all right, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with this. Yeah, and you said something really interesting just before we came into the room. Um, you said that it's funny. You, you when you were stuck in in the, in the stuck is the wrong word when you were in the cardiac sort mm. of uh, unit. You looked around the room and you saw what might be perceived as grumpy old men, but you had an altered <laughs> perception of them. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, so I'm in this ward and you always, yeah, my view was, you know, you see these men in hospital, you know, and I speak from a man point of view because that, you know, you, you're usually in a, you know, I haven't been in hospital that much, but I was on, I was on a men's ward and, you know, I wasn't the youngest there, but I was probably one of the youngest. There were some old guys there. Um, I'll be honest, some of them were probably a little bit too badly behaved. They didn't need to be. But, yeah, grumpy old men. Why are you so grumpy when you're in a hospital bed? You're being looked after. You Be polite. Be civil. These people are looking after you. And that was my first reaction. But then I, then I realized, because of the way I felt, that these men were probably the same as me. They were scared. They were scared. that they, they, I was the only one there at that moment in time that had a cardiac arrest. But there were guys who were having valves fitted, stents fitted, um, didn't even know what was going to happen. Um, and they were terrified. And the only way they could deal with that was by perhaps fighting back, by punching back, by pushing back, whatever they thought, by being a man. That may be, some people may say, well, that's a bit of an excuse, but that's what I saw because that's how I felt. And I didn't, you know, hopefully I was, I was my usual polite self in hospital and I was... I was a good patient. I'd like to think that. So I'm not saying that, you know, that's, that's sort of a condoning that sort of way. But, yeah, there were, there were guys there who, who were scared and you could tell. And I was there long enough to start to sit there and just look around me and start to understand and not be so blasé about, you know, these people. They had feelings and that was how they were dealing with it. And, and the nurses were brilliant. They, you know, it was water off a duck's back to them. They just, they'd seen it all. They, you could tell, you know, they knew how to deal with it. They knew exactly how to deal with it. Um, and they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But, yeah, there were a lot of scared guys on that ward. Yeah. You know, they, they'd come in with a bit of a, an achy arm or a, a shortness of breath or whatever, and the next minute they're being told, you've got to have a stent fitted, you're going down. You're going down to get some surgery and... And all of a sudden, it's like, well, this the same as me. This doesn't happen to me. I know. I surely, you know, yeah, I know. I, you know, I, you know, not me personally. I've never smoked, but you know, I smoked a few fags, and you know, I, I like my beer, and I like my fish and chips on and curries and whatnot. But no, this isn't happening. This isn't happening to me. This isn't happening to me. And yeah. you could tell there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear, and and they these guys were just pushing back. I think that's so important for healthcare professionals to hear. And, and to remember that, you know, I, I really yeah. do. Um, and, and feel free to say, you know, you, you don't have to answer this question. Um, how do you, what was the impact on your, your wife and kids of all this? Do you, have you got an awareness? Have they spoken to you about how they were feeling throughout this? <clears throat> we've never, we've never sat down and talked about it as such. Um, I think it's because it's a, it's a, it's a bit too raw for us to do that. Yeah. Um, 
my wife and I, we're very similar in certain circumstances, in, in certain personality traits. And, well, our kids are because they're like us. So, but we have our moments. We talk about it. And I, I know, I do know that it was, ah, oh, wow, a tremendous impact on them. Yeah. Emotionally, mentally. I mean, they... They came down to the hospital. I, I can't, I don't really understand the timeline on this. I still don't, other than they got, they got to the hospital quite quick. And they saw me in recess. They saw tubes coming out of me and whatnot. And should we call it the vibe was very much, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. You know, we just go and sit down and we're going to work on him. And I think at that moment... I think that was the moment that my wife and my kids thought that dad's gone. Yeah. So, and then of course, you know, we had the, you know, the comical instant, not far down the line, thankfully. I wasn't sedated, so I wasn't out for days. And, you know, I'm waking up and saying, where's my bike? Where's yeah. my phone? Where's my car? And they're laughing and giggling and, and thinking, well, I think he's going to be okay. Yeah. So they didn't have to, I, I didn't. I wasn't aware of it at all, obviously, but they didn't have to thankfully go through that for any longer than they needed to, I suppose. Yeah. But that had an impact on them. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I know I've had individual conversations with my daughter and my son and my wife. And I know my wife, she's stoic and it really, it really impacted on her. Hence, I have to be careful with some of the decisions I make in life now. I have to be, you know, like not racing a bike anymore. I may be able to race my bike, Ricky, to be honest. If, if everything goes really well and the steroids work and everything, I may, I may be in a position to be able to do it. But pinning a number on, you know, going out and racing after what I've put my wife and kids through, that's not fair. That's not a responsibility I want to make. I mean, and that's me. You know, if, if somebody else in the same position does it and they do it, you know, you look at Ericsson. I mean, yeah, young football yeah. star and he's back out there and, and there are lots of cycling stars who who get back on a bike and, and go out and do it, but they're younger. Uh, but it's their life. It's their livelihood. It's not my livelihood. Yeah. yeah. I've, had a, I've had a good crack, Ricky. I, you know, I've, I've, I've done, you know, I've, I've, at a regional level, I, I've, I've acquitted myself well. I've got nothing to prove. Yeah. I'm 61. You know, I could, I could go on racing for a lot longer, but what is the point? It's irresponsible as far as I see it. And I know that it's affected my daughter differently to my son. My son doesn't say a lot, but I know he's the closeness that we have now. Um, it, it's there's there's a a nice difference in the relationship. Yeah, I think it it. He lost, he was very close to his grandfather, my, my dad, um, when he was, and we lost, lost my dad in 77. My son was 16. He was on his, his birthday. And I think my son thought, my God, this is happening again. Because my dad just dropped. He had a massive aneurysm. Completely different to what I, so it's not a hereditary yeah. thing. Um, smoked all his life, so mm. probably what happened there. But he went like that, you know, and that's the way he always wanted to go. And he just left the aftermath of us clearing up. And that affected my son. And I think when he saw me there, we haven't really talked about it, but he's, I think that he f he feels uh, grateful. I think that I'm, sometimes he's not very not be very grateful for me being on the planet. <laughs> I'll be honest, but I think on this occasion, he was. Um and, and my daughter, differently, you know, she she worries about her health more. She's more like a mum. She's sensible about her health. Um, and, you know, she's more, she's, she's more aware, should we say, of, of maybe, well, good thing, health benefits of looking after yourself and, and maybe not being as, as blasé as I have been in the past to health. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've only got two more questions, if that's all right, please. Yeah. The one is, um, you know, I, I'm. It's really interesting as well. 
that you've talked about a lot about the physical health and you've touched upon the, the mental health and, and and they're so important so important to talk about what assistance have you had in in recovering in terms of mental health or have you had any that's interesting i haven't pushed at the door of this and i think it's because maybe it's this line i've got running through me that you know i'm okay but I genuinely feel that I have the sort of support network around me that that I need. Um, I think, if I'm honest, as far as the way the support and the the care that I had initially, I can't speak too highly of it, to be honest. Um, as far as the recognition of what of the system maybe of what i may be going through has has not measured up to that initial care now i know i was in an emergency and you know i had to be you know straight to the front priority and all the rest of it and i'm very grateful very grateful for that and i'm very lucky but um i think from the mental point of view and and the recognition it was talked about for sure that you will be feeling, you know, mentally this is going to affect you. Um, you, you know, it'll be, you will have a form of, you could have a form of post-traumatic stress disorder if I've got that in the right order. Um, you may have that. It may be very natural for you to have. And I think, yeah, I probably did have that. But it's, it's, I won't say it's been swept under the carpet. That's not fair. But, I haven't made a fuss about it and it's sort of gone away. Now I'm lucky, I, I think because of the people around me and their patience with me, I've been able to talk at will and and I think that's all that's, for me, I think that's all that's required is somebody just to, just to ask me questions and how are you feeling now, mate? And, you know, I, you know I, I got back on the bike vet as quickly as I could, not because I wanted to keep fit, but I didn't want to lose my support network or my friends because it's easy to do that. It's easy to, and certainly for me, just to say, right, I don't need this, I don't need that. I'm not going to go on a bike. I'm, I'm not going to see anybody because you do feel like that. But I thought, no, I need these people. And there was always somebody who'd come around with a, a box of biscuits and, uh, for a coffee and whatnot and just sit there and listen to me yadder on. Um, and then getting on the bike and just sort of, even if it was a couple of miles on the bike down to the local Nero's and, and just meet the, the team when they were training and they'd sit down, they'd huddle around me, they'd buy me a coffee and how are you doing, mate? You all right? And, and their care. And this is, this is a bunch of pretty hard nut blokes yeah. who ride their bikes. It's a hard sport. It's a hard sport. Um, and these guys, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're tough. They're tough guys. So lucky to, to have that network around, to be able to talk about stuff and just, just get it out. So, so yeah, I, you know, if I didn't have that, if I didn't have that, I think there's a danger of the loneliness really exacerbating the situation mentally and not allowing you to recover anywhere near as quickly. Because obviously mentally, if I, I would get, you know, I understand that if, if mentally you're not in a good place, you're not necessarily physically going to recover as well as you, you may do. So, you know, there's, there's no doubt that that has helped me recover a lot quicker. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. I'll get there. And I'm confident I'll get there now. Not, I, I know now I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that now. I know it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Tim, honestly, you're, you're such a great storyteller of your own story it's fantastic <laughs> honestly i i'm blown away by it absolutely blown away by it um so my final thing that is, we often ask this at the end of the podcasts is this podcast get listened to by students and healthcare professionals um and members of the public if you could give one i don't know pearl of wisdom on any of anything that's happened or any of your thoughts, what would that be? Hmm. Um, 
it's just, it's a real easy one, this. Just look after yourself. Be, be it sounds a bit cliche because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a social media thing. But be kind to yourself. Yeah. Be honest with yourself. You know, there's, you'd be surprised the sort of decent conversations you can have with yourself. Yeah. Um, and you can sort a lot out yourself if you're honest with yourself and you're just kind. You know, it just, um, there's so many sayings out there. There's so many, you know, you could do this, do this, you know, whatever. But that's easy to do. You know, stop, stop battling with yourself. And I, I think that's, that's what this whole thing taught me is just, you know, just be a bit more cool about stuff. Are you, and look after yourself physically. It, it's, it's not about gym memberships. It's not about going out and competing. I'm more competitive and, you know, I'll always be competitive. I'll find something else. You know, if we're watching two flies fighting, you know, I'll, I'm betting on that. I'll do, I'll, I'll find something that, that eases that urge. But you don't have to. You just, you know, it's easy. It's easy to eat a bit better and it's easy to, to look after yourself, whatever, whatever you like doing. Even if it's just walking your pet hamster or whatever, I don't know. But just, but, but most of all, just just be a bit kinder to yourself. Just just have those conversations. Well, where am I here? Okay, you know, it's like look in the mirror in the morning and just say, right, what are we doing today, mate? Yeah. Be 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 a mate. Be a mate to yourself. Because I, you know, I've spent a lot of my life beating myself up over stuff that did no good at all. And this this whole this whole event has taught me. Not too late in life, hopefully, but it doesn't need to be that way. Things could have been so different if there hadn't been people nearby with the required training and also the required equipment nearby that gave him the best chance of survival. Tim has expressed that he would like us to give a, a special shout out to Callon Hearts, who actually were the charity that donated the defibrillator that was used to save his life. If anybody would like to get some more information on Callon Hearts, please go to their website, look at their services. We would also like to discuss the importance of having these basic skills of CPR because Resuscitation Council UK statistics actually say 72% of all cardiac arrests occur in the home with 15% occurring in the workplace. So statistically, if this is to happen around you, it could be somebody that you know and love. For anybody who maybe would like to receive this training, there are many services out there. The British Heart Foundation, the Resuscitation Council, Welsh Hearts, Callon Heart, who can offer these services to you. 